All right, welcome to the Orthodox Squad podcast, and we're back with another episode. This time we've got an old friend from the first season, and it's Jim Apologetics. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Thanks for asking. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna be delving into Neoplatonism, the Bible, the Quran, and how all these kinds of things intersect with each other. And I'm not the expert on the topic, Jim is, and I'll just have him introduce himself. All right. So my name, well, not my name, but my my handle is Jim Apologetics. I run a YouTube channel focused on Orthodox Christian theology and uh, biblical textual scholarship. Uh, I know a decent amount about Islamic theology, and lately I've been studying the Greek philosophers and some of the things they have got correct and some of the things that are obviously incorrect that we in the Orthodox tradition would not go as far to appeal to too much Greek philosophy. So that'll be mostly what I'm talking about today. Um, but on my YouTube channel, I mainly cover like textual criticism, textual scholarship, and some apologetics here and there, depending on the uh, the subject matter. Awesome. So basically, we've not got the whole squad here today. It's just me and Sky. But I think that's enough for this topic. What I wanted to ask is, can you provide an overview of biblical metaphysics in um, Christianity and how they differ from the Quranic perspective? Right. So one thing that's very interesting and one thing that most people miss, whether Muslim, Christian, or even Orthodox Christian, is that the metaphysics of the biblical text are actually unique in that they are completely different from any of the surrounding Near Eastern paganism or Greco-Roman paganism in terms of the way that they view the universe itself. So, for example, in the Bible, I made a video on this topic, which was very popular, and I wrote an article as well on Substack. Uh, in Jeremiah 17, so chapter 17, verse 10, the Lord God is speaking. He says that he's the one who searches the minds and the hearts. Uh, and then in Revelation chapter 2 in the New Testament, in verse 23, it is Christ who says, I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, or the minds and the hearts. Depends on the English translation. The issue, though, is that, and this is what makes the Bible very interesting, is that in both scenarios, Old and New Testament, there's a good argument for the continuity of the New Testament. The word for minds is not actually mind, and it's not soul either. It's actually kidneys. So it's given a physical organ as the faculty of what God is searching to find uh, the seat of your emotion. So they appeal to the heart, that's a physical organ, and the kidneys, that's another physical organ. So it's not to say that there's no concept of a soul in orthodoxy or in the Bible, but rather that the concepts of souls and of bodies are intrinsically linked to the material world and the physical. One issue in Neoplatonism and in other branches of Greek philosophical, philosophical metaphysics, I mean, is that there is this appeal to an upper realm or a spiritual world that is superior, you may have heard of Gnosticism takes this to the far extreme, superior to anything material and physical. And the Bible is quite grounded in the physicality and the materiality of it. So even the concept of the soul, the existence of life and the consciousness of the soul is paired with a physicality in the Bible, something that's not found in any pagan religions, anything from the Mediterranean or from the Middle East, and is certainly not found in uh in the Quran. Um, and then aside from the Quran, there's also the Islamic tradition that goes way further into metaphysics that are really not unique. That's my whole issue when studying Islam is that the metaphysics sound a lot like what other pagans have been saying for thousands of years, kind of what Hinduism says, and even what some branches that are heretical to us from Christianity have said. 
but it is orthodoxy that does not go too far into any of these metaphysics, particularly on the issue of the soul, which is going to be the main thing that I'll be talking about in terms of metaphysics itself. But I did want to bring those up, and I did also want to state that within the Bible, the, the concepts of eternality and infinitude are again bound to maybe not a physical domain, but they're personified in a physical way, so that you'll notice and a lot of Muslims attack the fact that in the Old Testament, God is presented almost in this very physical personified way. And you'll notice that in Islam, there's an extreme form of transcendence where God is so above and unlike anything, there's no way you could possibly relate to him. Well, we also believe in a form of transcendence in Orthodox Christianity. I'm sure you guys heard of the transcendental argument, which is what Jay Dyer uses all the time when debating with atheists and other types of religious groups in order to show the existence of God. However, the issue in Islam is that they take the transcendence way too far. And so God can't even relate to anything in creation. And this idea that God can never relate and never actually cause anything in creation, that he always needs to uh, not so much accommodate himself, but just he cannot bring his greatness to ever manifest on the earth or anything near the earth, is again an idea of an extreme form of Platonic and Neoplatonic metaphysics. So there's a lot to unpack there. But that's the basic understanding, including the soul, of what we're going to be delving into. Awesome. But just something I can see straight away that a Muslim is going to say, for example, is don't we take a lot of our stuff from the Greek philosophers, particularly Aristotle and Plato? Um, yeah. What I mean by that, like we have heaps of saints. Augustine, for example, continuously will reference one of those two. Uh, part, uh, and, and I know in his case, it's Aristotle. And you'll find other church fathers that make reference to the Greek philosophers. So what's different between what we do and what they do, would you say? Oh, yeah, great question. And I'm glad you brought this up early on so that we don't have, we, we forget to cover it. And then some Muslim channel makes like a refutation. That's the first thing they bring up. So in terms of Greek philosophy, first of all, Aristotle and Plato are both vastly superior to the ideology of Plotinus. Plotinus is the one who is kind of the master, or rather his mentor above him, Ammonius Saccas. Those two are the masters of Neoplatonism. And that's where the issues really start. Uh, Platonic uh, philosophy is not actually all bad. Uh, Plato, of course, was a rationalist, and so he contributed to a great development of schools of thought that are quite beneficial to Western civilization and to Christianity as a whole. Aristotle was known to be much more material, uh, materialistic, I mean, than anything that comes later from Plotinus. So we don't really have to worry about Aristotelian philosophy because that actually goes hand in hand with the Bible. It's really not much of a departure. As for Plato, orthodoxy is quite careful to take what matches with the Bible, but never accept something that goes contrary to what was already revealed. Whereas with Islam, because they're showing up with a brand new book, a brand new tradition, they don't really have to adhere to the biblical metaphysics and the biblical understanding of the cosmos. So they can appeal wildly to Neoplatonism. They can appeal wildly to some of the incorrect things that Plato may have said. And they don't really care because they don't have to go back to the Bible and go, hey, so this makes sense. Are we properly copying the theology that was given before us in this prophetic tradition? Well, the answer is no. They don't have to because they don't care about that. They don't care about adhering to exactly. the theology. So that's our difference. Exactly. We take only what's good. We we leave what does not match our scripture. As for Muslims, they don't care about a scripture. So there's no way for them to uniformly uh, match what's in the Bible. 
Well, see, the thing is, what you find a lot of the time is that the Quran will take parts from the Bible or from other faiths that it likes, but then it will see something from a different faith system that it likes and then take that as well. But then when you break it down, they're contradictory or they don't match up. <laughs> what they end up doing is just basically saying that, oh, no, those faith systems stole it from us. So our, our ideology makes sense. Those ones don't because um, they've created this whole paradigm where they're the correct faith. And instead of that, they, they subvert it, basically. You didn't steal from, we didn't steal from you. You stole from us. That's uh, something I see with the uh, hymns of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Um, right. There's like a whole poem that he has that looks exactly like a verse in the Quran. And what they'll say is actually, no, St. Ephraim the Syrian was a Muslim. And they'll go back in retrospect <laughs> and say, oh, no, this political figure was a Muslim. Theta was a Muslim. Whoever whoever fits their ideology. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. There's a funny meme. But it's a scholar. He's being unironically serious. And he goes, Odin was a Muslim. Zeus was a Muslim. It's like, where does it end? How do you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, do you how would you... Thor exactly, was a, exactly. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> well, just, you know, just to be clear, uh, the hardline Sunnis who actually take the religion very seriously will probably not say this kind of stuff. But the issue is that Muslims who are not that serious about their faith are kind of lukewarm, like westernized Muslims. They'll openly, even the scholars will say that like on I've seen TikTok live streams where some sheikh has like an Odin ring. And someone's like, hey, what is that? And he goes, don't you know? It was like a prophet of of allah <laughs> totally <laughs> ridiculous so i was like that's a really famous uh i didn't say that link there that's a uh, kind of funny <laughs> uh, i saw it <laughs> see that's what i'm saying how do you know for example you say neoplatonism but when i'm attacking or not attacking when i'm, I'm trying to just discuss with a muslim trying to explain my viewpoint why i think i'm correct how yeah. do i how do i know that this group or this sect of Muslims is affected by neoplatonism. How do I know where to? They all are. Every single one all is. I'll okay. prove it to you. Yeah, this is this is my main problem with them because I used to think when I was studying this religion, you know, back before I was very confident in orthodoxy, before I was confident in any Christianity at all, I used to sometimes think, well, what if what if Islam's true? Because you know, they're they're restoring the original kind of Semitic context of yeah, the old that's and that's something that's that they they try to play off as well like oh you guys went into the greek whatever you guys became pagans we're going back to how the old israelites were but as a reality my whole issue with them is you know they steal a lot more greek paganism than christians do that's my whole problem like you guys can't say everyone else is doing paganism with the trinity three god argument and stuff but then you guys are stealing your understanding of the universe comes from these greek philosophers who were clearly not Muslims. Like, there's no way these guys were. And we don't claim they were Christians either. We only claim that they, in some traditions of orthodoxy, some of the uh, philosophers were later redeemed. But that doesn't mean they were originally, we don't say Plato was secretly a Christian. He was just getting closer to the truth. But he, we don't say he was a Christian. Like, clearly wasn't. But he got redeemed later. So but they, they will say, no, he was a Muslim. But they will there's, say that. There's basically no goalpost to what a before the time of Muhammad, there's no goalpost to what a Muslim is. A Muslim could be someone who believes in like some, you know, uh, Tibetan Asiatic Buddhism and demons and all this weird stuff. But as long as they say, oh, there's only one God, they're a Muslim. But then the second Muhammad is born, okay, now you have to adhere to all the rules. So it's kind of arbitrary. Like literally anybody could be a Muslim in there. Like Buddha's a Muslim. It's totally 
arbitrary. Anybody could be a Muslim. It doesn't make sense. I did want to read out for you guys because you asked me about the metaphysics. I didn't have my, yeah. my list out here. So I just wanted to show what I meant when I said the Bible is totally unlike any pagan books around it. So I'm going to just give you a couple examples, if that's all right. All right, that's good. Let's go for it. So this is actually taken from a book by uh, Mr. Here we go. Let me pull that up right now. Here we go. Yesevel's Kaufman's Religion of Israel. And in this book, he actually writes about the differences between the religion of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and then the pagan nations around it. Because you hear all the time, like from atheists and even from Muslims too, that the God of the Bible was pagan or we got him from paganism and there's all these pagan influences. So I'm going to totally destroy that. Uh, so number one, the Bible, there's no series of cyclical reality. So reality is not cyclical in the Bible, which is totally unlike anything else. Because in the rest of Near Eastern paganism, and even in the Greco-Roman tradition, we all know that reality was cyclical, meaning there was death, and then you were reborn, and then there came the seasons, the spring and fall and winter and summer, and they had the reincarnation, and all these different pagan civilizations believed in that. It's not just a Hindu thing. Everyone people believes think it is. People think it is. I was guilty of that. I thought just a year ago, actually, if someone asked me who believes in reincarnation, I would have just said straight away Hindus. I wouldn't have said right. Greek, just Hindu. Well, they're the only ones that like are around today. So that's not a bad answer to have. But yeah, the ancient Greeks and the ancient pagans of the Middle East, maybe they didn't have a sophisticated form of reincarnation, but they did know that civilization didn't have a beginning and then there's an end point. Like their eschatology was everything's always existed. You know, things will go bad and then they'll come good again and then they'll go bad and they'll become good again. And that's just the cycle over and over and over. There's no beginning, middle end to this story. All of the pagans believe that. They believe everything's always existed in an infinite amount of time. We've always just been going through the cycle. If things are bad now, they'll get better later and then they'll get worse again because that's a cycle of good, bad, good, bad. They all believe that. The Bible is the first book to come and say, no. There was the beginning. There was nothing before the beginning. There's nothing before God. And that's another thing. A lot of these pagans believe that before God or the gods, there was space. There was cosmos. Yes. And, and like a greater God made the gods that we have today. Well, we don't believe that. The Bible just says right away from the beginning, there's only one God. He created everything. Nothing happened without him. That was the beginning. We are now in the middle. There will one day be an end. There's no other religion believed in the end and the middle and the beginning. It was all rebirth, relife, death. So that's one major difference. It's never ending. It's never ending. Yeah, and that's that's something that's very important. And of course, Islam takes their eschatology, the end time, directly from Christianity. I and mean, it's the same thing. Jesus comes back to judge the world, except he like kills the pigs in Islam and breaks the cross. I mean, it's all simple. You see, that's something that I don't like. They say Jesus comes to judge the world, but only only God can judge. So I feel like even by default, they're <laughs> conceding that Jesus is some kind of supreme. Supreme yeah, it's, it's a little weird that their own primary prophet is not the one to come judge the exactly. world. replaces Jesus and almost everything else, but it is definitely strange. I'm going to give you a couple more examples. Um, there's there's no such thing, even though in, in Orthodox tradition, you'll know that there's the idea of hesychasm. And St. Gregory yeah. Palamas talks a lot about mysticism as well. And so we have this concept of mysticism. And so we realize that via that mysticism, you can become closer to God, but you cannot receive 
prophetic revelation by doing that. You know, the prophecy's over. Revelation's done. There is not going to be any more prophets. It's done. It's been over. You know, Christ is, is the final, he's the seal of everything. As the Muslims say, seal of the prophets. Well, Christ is the seal of the entire religion. Nothing comes after him. It's never going to be another prophet. You know, in the Bible, prophets are just given the revelation. Some of them are not great theologians who have studied for a long time. Honestly, of all of the prophets and apostles in the Bible, it's probably St. Paul who's like the most obvious theologian. Everyone else, like look at Moses. He was royalty, and then he became a shepherd, and then God called out to him. He didn't have to go through some kind of mystical change to do that. And yeah, we're nothing like Moses, so our lives are not going to be like that. But there's a key difference between this Israelite shepherd just receives a command from God that's totally unique to the Bible, whereas in all the other pagan religions, what happened is, you know, this guy has to be an oracle of the village in order to even get close to the truth. And again, that's a big difference between the Bible. Um, yeah, and like I said, there's there's no answer to where God originated at all. Like there is, oh, look who joined. Dewas, how are you? Let's go. Hey, sorry. <laughs> I had some family business. Are we recording it? Yeah, 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 we are. Nice, good. Um, I again apologize, everybody. There was some. That's it's all good. We're family all... issues that I had to deal with. No, no worries. Uh, another thing I was going to ask you, Jim, is how does the biblical understanding of God's nature, the Trinity, how is it different for Muslims? Because they'll say, you know, the Trinity is illogical. It doesn't make sense uh, because one plus one plus one equals three. So therefore your polygamists, but how do their notions of God differ? Because they, they claim to be monotheism, monotheistic, which they are, but at the same time, they have like 1,000 parts for God. I remember hearing that somewhere. Could yeah, you they've elaborate got, on they've that? They've got 99 parts. And the issue is, you know, and this is another thing I want to touch on, uh, there is no such thing as monotheism that's the whole problem with islam is it teaches religious indifference today islam has this reputation of they're going to kill anyone who's not a muslim but that's only like the extreme groups who are in the sahel of africa and were in the middle east when um a certain group with a black flag showed up uh other than that muslims actually kind of the whole religion of islam the end point of it will end up being religious indifference because they're the first religion to start saying oh see we're like you. We we believe in the same God, even though we're a different tradition. Before Islam came, nobody believed in that. The Catholics were not saying, ah, the Orthodox, our brothers, they just have a different tradition. Like, even though they hadn't schismed yet during the time of Islam, there were still differences. People like between the Orientals and the and the Eastern Orthodox weren't sitting around going, Well, we're all friends because you guys have the same one God. Orthodoxy teaches there is no generic one God. There's no generic monotheism. There's there's the Trinity of Orthodoxy, which is in the Bible. And the, and the Church of and then, Christ, that's it. Yeah, that, that's it. There, You can't have, there is no, well, we all have the same God. No, you don't, because you either believe, and Jay Dyer said this best, it doesn't, you know, it, it, you, you can't all have the same God because the referent is actually not the same at all. They're just saying, well, we believe in a God. The Bible teaches that. The Bible doesn't teach a God. The Bible teaches specifically this is Jehovah. He's the one God of the entire cosmos. You have to obey everything he gives you. Not, hey, guys, I don't care who, what name you call me. Just be a monotheist. Like That's nowhere in the Bible does it say, I want all nations to call me weird random names 
that have nothing to do with anything, as long as you're generically monotheist. So Islam is actually the more pantheist and the more ecumenical of all the religions. Like Christianity and the Bible does not teach you can just generically believe in a one God. You have to follow the one God. You know, there are plenty of other religions who teach one God, but they're wrong. So Islam is the first one to come around and go, oh, we all lead to the same path. It's just total nonsense. Uh, but when it comes to the Trinity, you asked me, how does their metaphysical system for how God exists? Yeah, so there are these 99 attributes of, of God in Islam. And a lot of people try to use that argument and say, well, isn't that kind of like having 99 parts because they all have to be fully God? And it's not a terrible argument, but actually I find the best way to have a discussion with a Muslim because 90% of them are Sunni, okay? Or 85% are Sunni. And the Sunni believe that the Quran is eternal and uncreated. So if the Quran is eternal and uncreated, it's always been alongside God since the beginning of time, according to their, their well, according to logic. That's what eternal and uncreated means. So they say, yeah, the Quran's always been with God. So if you ask them, is the Quran God? They'll say, no, it's not God. They say, is it different from God? Is it separated? Is it totally not God? They'll also say no. So it's neither separate from God, nor is it God himself. And it's an eternal, uncreated book called the Word of God. I mean, does anyone see this is kind of similar to the Logos idea? That yes, we exactly. Have, like, I was, and this I was just thinking in the beginning was the word and the word was with yeah. exactly. It's ex like really realistically, the Quran, one of the surahs should open with in the beginning was the Quran and the Quran was with God and the Quran was God. And the Quran came down and mediated for mankind via the angel Jibreel. I mean, it's it's literally the same thing. So why would I leave my religion where I have the Logos theology to go to another religion where they have the Logos theology? I don't understand how it's any less pagan. It's kind of the same thing. So what's the big idea here, guys? Like The Shia are the more sensible in only one aspect because they have said the Quran is created. Like it's a miracle, they say, but it's created. So they're at least a little more sensible. They never fell into the kind of... Uh, Ahmad ibn Hanbal mistake of saying the Quran is eternal. There was actually a lot of controversy about that. We'll get into that another time. But are the Shias like the Aryans of uh, Islam? Well, yeah, I guess in that way they kind of are. But the Shia take the paganism thing like a lot further. So they're not. They're not. They're not really better. Anyway, um, so we we dealt with the biblical, the biblical stuff. Um, I do want to say just one or two more points about how the biblical metaphysics slash theology is totally different from paganism and also from islam if we still got a little bit of time yeah we got time go for it okay so one and this is just for paganism but one thing is that the pagan gods you'll see atheists all the time say oh look there's an old testament quote with a pagan god therefore we can believe in like henotheism and a lot of biblical scholars try to do that like i don't know if bart ehrman does but other biblical scholars all the time try to say that the early Israelites believed in multiple gods. They clearly didn't. I mean, God says, you shall not have any other gods upon my face, upon my presence. That's what he says. If you find any other gods, you are to destroy them. And you'll notice that in the Old Testament, the idols are not just called idols of the God. The idols are actually called the God itself. So in the Old Testament, if you destroy an idol, you have destroyed that God. His existence is over because he now has no more idols. So it's clear and St. Paul goes on about this as well in the epistles, that the other gods aren't real. They're deaf and dumb and mute. They're basically just fantasies or demons. They're not actual gods. 
there's one thing to tell atheists like yeah it mentions other gods but it's clear from the very beginning that they're just useless idols that have zero power metaphysically so that's one thing to keep in mind really quick and then another thing that uh is also quite interesting let me see here we go oh here's a here's an interesting one um and islam also kind of copies this so this is not really an argument against islam but just to mention another thing that is common in the pagan cultures that's nowhere in the bible is this idea of this eternal war between good and bad light and darkness like there is no eternal war god created everything there was the fall which gave us the symptoms of the imperfect world we live in but it's not like there's the good god and then there was an evil god and the evil god you know he's sitting around manifesting this army and they, they've been fighting this war for twelve thousand years like that's what pagans believe in almost all their systems so the bible clearly does not teach that whatsoever um but yeah, so those are some of the things that are in the Bible that I, I find very interesting. And that, and if you guys wanted, I can give some evidence now. Well, actually, we didn't really talk about the soul. I could, I could talk about that if you'd like. Yeah, because I know there's a couple of things about the soul that differ um, or are wrong that have attempted to come into orthodoxy, like the whole soul sleep theory or the idea that, that we have souls before we're born and they're just waiting. Muslims believe this that you have yep. a soul before you're born and then God sends down your soul in a body. Could you elaborate on that? Right. So to I'll, I'll describe both. So the soul sleep is kind of the totally opposite of the spectrum. There are some Orthodox priests like Father Thomas Hopko, who I've done multiple videos on kind of examining his theology. He did not really believe in any kind of disincarnate soul at all. So he was a very far extreme. And that's not the norm for orthodoxy. The Orthodox Church does not really endorse what Hopko has to say on the soul. It's his own personal opinion based on whatever he's been studying or had been studying. Uh, and so, so he just a quick, quick divergence there. Like how would how in what case can someone have an opinion on something like that? And it's the Orthodox Church can come in and, and say, you can have that opinion, but this is what we teach. Example, right. So with, in with terms of, yeah, toll houses is an interesting one because there is still some fierce debate, but I don't think that's nowhere, that's nowhere near as serious as what Hopko was talking about. I mean, Hopko is basically going yeah. against a lot of Orthodox tradition. So he's never, he's not going to be anathematized or like called a heretic or anything, obviously, because uh, most of his teachings were very good. It's just that the Orthodox church says, look, we like a lot of his teachings. You can read his books because whenever he's talking about uh, the incarnation or the trinity or history he's really good but if it comes to the soul we just don't endorse it that's all like he's not he's not thrown out of the church because he made some things incorrect that honestly like barely any people have read anyway but so soul sleep is is really more common in uh like jehovah witnesses and these socinian hebrew roots movements where they believe that when you die you die you close your eyes no consciousness lights out and then you're you're only resurrected physically for the end times and then so you just kind of like you know we die and then you just wake up two thousand years from then you're in the end times there's no going to heaven or anything that's what those people believe the other opposite of the extreme that you mentioned which was good uh is that this idea of souls pre-existing before you're born that is that is 100 percent paganism and 100 percent neoplatonic metaphysics um, so let me explain really quickly in orthodoxy, the church has always taught that we believe in the soul, that the soul is 
one of the faculties of consciousness and individuality. However, we do not ever teach that before you were born, you were a soul dancing around in the upper realm, playing soccer with Ammonius Saccas and Plotinus, you know, having coffee with Plato and yeah, you know, hey God, can you send me down to have you know down to earth? I, I want a body now. Like, there is none of that nonsense. The Bible doesn't teach that, and Orthodoxy is never taught that. Orthodoxy teaches, and this is a good thing that is so physical. There's a very physical element to the soul. The soul cannot exist without being put into a body. The soul is created at the moment you're conceived and given to you instantly. In the Hebrew Bible, it's called the nefesh, and in the Greek, it's called the psyche. And it literally translates as breath of life. So we know that the soul is like kind of the vitality of existence. It's not just a ghost, but it's a vitality of existence itself. And yes, it does hold consciousness. And yes, when you die, your soul will either go to torment or go to paradise. But the difference is that we never believe that you were anything before you were conceived. There is no soul dancing around in the eternal cosmic reality before you're born. And when you die... The soul is granted immortality as a gift from God. So the immortality does come, but it is it, it has a starting point. You're not uncreated and unbegotten. You're not Christ and you're not, you're not, you know, according to Muslims, you're not the Quran. So you're not uncreated. You are created. Your soul is created. It existed the second you're conceived. But then when you die, it can be given immortality by God. So it's a gift. It's not this, you're not always existing. Unfortunate for Islam, they do believe very strongly in the idea that the souls pre-exist the bodies. And one issue with that, and I'm going to censor the words I say here because I don't want to demonetize your channel. One issue with that, and this is very common mm -hmm. in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, is that certain, um, let's say, transmogrification ideologies cannot be refuted in Islam because all one of these perverts would have to say is, well, my soul was put into the wrong body. I'm supposed to, I'm a female soul. Uh, per, say a person's attracted to men, which happens in Iran a lot. They're attracted to men. They're gray. And uh, and uh, they say, you know, I want to go be with men, right? Well, Iran will basically force them to become transmogrified. And once they do that, they're now heterosexual because they're technically a woman. And they justify this by saying, yeah, you know, before they were born, they were a genderless soul with no body parts. And then they came down and Allah prepared for them a body. They just happened to go into the wrong body, which means Allah made a mistake, but whatever. <laughs> uh, that's that's what they believe. So they, you can't really argue against this transmogrification issue using only Islamic theology because anybody could just appeal to the pre-incarnate soul and say, I've been put in the wrong body. Like, there's no, you're, there's no kind of a, uh, I guess there's no uh, necessity of always having your your biological sex. Whereas in the Bible, it's taught, hey, you're created male. Your soul is male. Your soul did not exist before you were born. You were always male. There was never an opportunity for you to become female, ever. Whereas in Islam, I don't know. I don't think you could really justify going against that certain topic. Because look, we're, since we're talking about Neoplatonism anyways, is that not an idea that Plato thought that your soul pre-existed? Or was that Aristotle? Well, actually, no, Aristotle was actually more of a materialist. So a lot of his theology is really more compatible. Uh, Plato did not invent all of this stuff. I'm using Neoplatonism as kind of an umbrella term. It includes a lot of other philosophies. 
It's uh, really I, extend beyond what Plato to basically yeah. or anyone watching Platonism, Neoplatonism is when you take Plato's concepts and ideas, and then in around the fourth century they would extend on those ideas and just keep going and see where it, whether where yeah. the path would take them. Yeah, that was Plotinus. He's the one who began extending. So Platonism is just Plato's teachings. Neoplatonism is Plotinus adding on these extreme fantasies to it that were even more of a departure than what Plato taught. But it's actually Socrates and even Pythagoras that were sitting around talking about the soul when, I mean, no offense to them, they clearly did not even know what it was. I mean, they're just kind of assuming the soul is X, Y, and Z. They have no scriptural basis for this. They've never spoken to God. So they're just making assumptions. And unfortunately, you can be wrong. And they were wrong on this concept of an immortal soul that always existed. You can read uh, the Socratic the Socratic philosophy. He straight out says that souls become trapped in like a physical shell. It's totally against the Bible. Um, I'm going to give you a couple examples of this concept found in Islam. Now that I've talked about it, I want to be able to uh, I want to be able to um, support it. So we have a tafsir here, and the pre-existence of souls is taught both in the Quran and the traditions. Aisha said, or Aisha related that Muhammad said, souls before they became united with bodies were like assembled armies. And afterward, they were dispersed and sent into the bodies of mankind. I'll send you the references after. So right there, Muhammad is saying they become united. Even the word uniting with the body is really reminiscent of the Socratic philosophy. And then what Neoplatonism Plotinus teaches later. We don't teach that the soul was dancing around, like I said, and then became united. Like they're given to each other the moment they're born. Now, if you say, well, doesn't Islam teach that too? No, because he says before they became united, they were like armies. And afterward, they were dispersed and sent into the bodies of mankind. So basically every human being in Islam pre-existed. You just have no memory of it. You pre-existed in heaven. You were like an angel with Allah forever. And then you got sent into humanity. And this is why. A lot of Christians have a hard time arguing, well, why is Jesus so special? Oh, he pre-existed. Well, Muslims don't care about that because they think every single person has pre-existed. That's one of the problems. Also, so does rabbinic Judaism, very interestingly. Um, so I'm going to give you another reference. There's a reference to this doctrine in the Quran. I think it's Surah 7, verse 171. And when the Lord drew forth their posterity from the loins of the sons of Adam. That's the verse that they use in the tafsir to justify this uh, Aisha uh, comment about what Muhammad said about the souls. Now, does do I think that they actually have a point with the Quran? I don't actually think the Quran is saying exactly what they're teaching. You'll notice that a lot of the issue is the Islamic theology gets developed later. So the Quran doesn't really mention this preexistence of soul that much. But then the Islamic tradition starts pages and pages and pages of this stuff. Uh, the commentator, Al-Basawi, says, God strokes Adam's back and extracted from his loins his whole posterity, which should come into the world until the resurrection, one generation after another, and that these souls were all assembled together like small ants, and after they had, in the presence of the angels, confessed their dependence upon God, they were again caused to return into the loins of Adam. So all the souls existed within Adam. They were brought up to heaven. They they lived with the angels, it says, right there. And then they were returned back to Adam so that he could be the progenitor of the human race. Doesn't sound like anything that we teach, obviously. So, so just, just to, to kind of 
put our foot down, do does the Orthodox Church condone in any way or form neo-Platonism? Is there any way that it can be applied in Orthodox? Scenario? Yeah, I mean, in the Orthodox Church, there are teachings of Plato, and there are there are some. Actually, I don't even want to say Plotinus. I don't think that anything that Plotinus really teaches is found in Orthodoxy. In fact, you can even, Jay Dyer has an older video that's like four years ago. He does a two-hour dissertation of Neoplatonism. And if yeah. if we were teaching it in our church, he... Oh, sorry, I froze out for a second. Can you guys hear me? Oh, yep. yes. Okay. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of material that Jay Dyer's covered yeah, on Neoplatonism and yes. why it's not compatible. Yeah, I was just going to say that Jay Dyer's done a whole thing railing against Neoplatonic um, philosophy. So I would say that really uh, the teachings of Plato himself, uh, some of them, like some of his teachings are not all bad. So the church will not throw all of his teachings out. I mean, if you look at the New Testament, the number one Gentiles mentioned in the New Testament are the Greeks. And, you know, St. Paul said- I was going to say on that topic. Something I was going to say is that people make this false assumption that because someone was not Christian, that therefore everything they say is wrong. As St. Cyril says, not... We're talking about Neoplatonism. I said that Jay Dyer had already uh, completed a lot of articles on jaysanalysis.com and uh, that his video material, he had gone against Neoplatonism many times. So we do not believe in the conclusions that Plotinus reached. Obviously, little elements of what Plotinus taught would be inspired by the people for him, such as Plato. So Plato, he's not all wrong just because he had a few things wrong. He's still a rationalist. He brought a good school of thought. And not everything he taught is garbage just because he wasn't a Christian. Like we were saying, you can be a non-Christian before the Christian religion is revealed and say some true things. We're just not going to base the entire religion on what Plato has to say. In the New Testament, Paul says the Greeks are the number one Gentiles that he brings up all the time. So the Jews look after signs or power, and the Greeks look after wisdom. And so Christ is a stumbling block to both because he is the power of God. So if Jews want their miracles, they have to go to Christ, and he's the wisdom of God. So it's already, it's already seen that the Greeks are looking for wisdom. They have found some kind of wisdom, but they're not fully there. Paul appeals to their philosophy many times to debate with them while he's in Greece. So we know that they got a certain way. You know, they're not just Olympian pantheon pagans, like a lot of the basic pagans that were in Europe and parts of the Middle East. These are very elevated, different kind of pagans that were entirely moving away from traditional paganism and closer to kind of a generic monotheism. But of course, a generic monotheism is not enough. So Christianity came and it was the perfect fulfillment of everything that they were leaning toward. That does not mean every single thing they taught must have been true. Like some stuff the philosophers said is contrary to what we believe. So we just don't believe anything that contradicts with our Bible and with our, our own theology and tradition. But of course, we can still take some inspiration. But Plato himself is nowhere near as extreme and off his rocker as Plotinus. Plotinus is really the one who mm -hmm. his, uh, his ideas that just really are not compatible with what's in orthodoxy uh, at all. So I, I do want to give a couple more, um, just one or two more references for Islam, because I don't want to get grilled by 
you know, apostolic Islam is going to do a reputation <laughs> of this. And like, oh, she didn't give sources. So I got to give the sources. I don't want to have some some refutation and get debunked on the internet. Like here, okay? Let's see here. Let me see. I think I already gave actually the sources for the pre-existence of a soul. I'll send it to you again. But um, it says right here that all Muslims of all sects that at the resurrection, the body will be raised and united to its soul. And the one part of the body, namely the lower part of the spine, um, or the root of the tail, will be preserved as a basis of the future edifice. So they 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 already say that the souls and the bodies kind of separate, which again is not all bad, but the issue is that they say, like we already read, the souls before they became united. Well, right, that sentence is already wrong for us. There was no before united. They were like armies in the heavens of the angels, et cetera, et cetera. So this is not, this is just one reference, but it is all across their theology. Quran 81 verse seven also says when the souls are paired, that's implying that the soul was already existing and the body was already existing. And there was a time period when they did not exist together. And then they were paired. The Bible does not say souls are paired. It just says that, you know, your flesh, here's your life force. You're alive. That's it. You know? That the soul is is with the body at the same time. They're not these two different worlds that like have to come to collide. So the reason I brought this up is because a I don't think anybody else talks about this, and b it's quite important to deal with because we can't just sit there and just kind of submissively allow the Muslim to say, "Oh, you guys do Greco-Roman paganism." You know, they are the ones who are doing a lot more Greek philosophy than we are, and there's really not the worst part about it is there really is not a justification for it because the Greeks are never mentioned in the Quran. The Greeks are never mentioned really in any hadith other than saying, oh, you know, the Byzantine army is coming. We got to fight them. Okay, so, so there's no basis for, oh, uh, these philosophers, they were coming closer to the truth. Just like in the New Testament, we have this idea that the Greeks are the ones who are looking after wisdom. And of all of the Gentiles, they are the most the most uh, civilized and the ones that could become Christians very easily because they've been led there. They don't have to be converted by the sword or by some imperial army. Uh, they're going to be converted by themselves because they are moving away from paganism anyway. With Islam, there's no concept like this. So it's kind of arbitrarily deciding, well, uh, we want to use Greek philosophy, so we're going to. And of course, that attaches with it a lot of side effects that are, are not so good. I think earlier we covered the transcendence as well, how they take it to a very far extreme. But yeah, I wanted to mention those subjects today today because I think they're kind of unique and uh, I think... Not a lot of people will talk about this. Again, uh, just because I've mentioned Neoplatonism and I've mentioned the Greek philosophers, just to be very clear, because people can take stuff out of context on YouTube, I'm not saying you can't use any Greek philosophy. I'm only saying you can use what agrees with the Bible. Now, some of what's... Yes, why something can't... exactly. I was going to say. I'm sure. You go, Nicholas. You go first. Uh, thank you. Um, and exactly, when we see about the logic and the history behind it, we gotta give some credit for Greek philosophers with their limited knowledge back then, trying to figure out what is life exactly. And they had some basic good ideas, but then with the history with Christianity, when they actually got the theology, they learned about it. Then on the other hand, when we look at Islam, it's uh, the idea of the souls existing before a birth is completely logical because that opens so many problems 
what happens to souls who never get to a body what happens with uh, who decides are they fighting amongst each other the souls i will get first in that body or you so or are they playing a game for it so there are multiple problems with that coming up so just with common knowledge it's basically self-explained why we can accept some ideas of philosophers mm -hmm. and why not that's like for example me and sky are talking and he says um i think that and that about life well i agree with that on you and that part on the other part you're wrong sky that's just common life exactly and so, one one quick note to add to that i just wanted to stay hmm. and then and then uh, I'll, I'll let you guys go uh, or I'll let you guys speak. I just want to say if Muslims argue, well, we're taking some, why can't the Muslim also just take what agrees and what doesn't? We have the benefit of the Bible being like thousands of years older than any of the Greek philosophy. So no one can claim our book is based on them. They came way after and we end up going, oh, you guys, there's some similarity here. Where is it with the Quran? There's no evidence that it actually has existed since eternity. So we're just going to assume it's a book that shows up in the 7th century. Well, that's way after the philosophers. How do we know that you're the one not influenced by the philosophers and not the other way around? I just wanted to add that point. Um, I, just, I just had a quick question um, regarding the, um, the souls and the bodies in their theology. Is So there's a time when the souls and the body are separate right yeah. and then so how would they argue um like for example we say that life begins at conception right and that there's a soul yeah. and everything that how could could they could they somehow like argue i guess for like an abortion argument uh because... here's what's interesting oh sorry go ahead and then i'll, I'll it was it was only because like if there's so much time separate oh is it is it the soul's not there up to like six weeks or something. And then that's, that's the way that I heard that. And I'm just like, what? So that's, well, I just want... yeah. I mean, they, they try to be as vague as possible. I'm, I can't say it's six weeks. It could be, it could be literally five minutes after conception. That's not really the issue. The issue is just that the soul was already there thousands of years before you were born. Um, Here it says uh, in Quran 33, 10, when they came upon you, from above you and from beneath you, and the eyes became dazed, and the hearts reached the throat, and you harbored doubts about God. Actually, that one is not really about birth at all. It's about the soul kind of leaving the body at that point. But there's a lot of different verses where it says that, uh, you know, God gives you the spirit, and there's actually a difference between the spirit and the soul. But the main distinction is that the soul is never really associated in the same way as the breath of life that it is with the Bible. So we don't even know that the soul is the one that's responsible for life coming at the conception it could be it could not be but yeah it's a really good point if like there's a point where your flesh is here but your soul is there are you alive yet like what what's going on and and yeah the soul pairing is very interesting because like i said earlier with the certain topic the transmogrification how would you like you you mentioned abortion but yeah how would you also justify going against that kind of an issue because like you could just say i was born in the wrong body and it was funny how uh Milos had mentioned, do the souls like fight over the body or how does it work? It is actually a really good question. Like who gets what body? And, and if someone is like, you know, um, gray and they say, I've, I'm attracted to men or whatever. And, uh, I've been born in the wrong body. Well, then who put you in the wrong body? Like, is God making a mistake? Like, 
I thought God's the one putting you in the body. So he, he made a mistake then putting you in that body. It's kind of, it's a very kind of a tricky thing to start believing in. And the other point is also, um, if they are separate from the beginning, then it's first the body to exist for the soul to be put in. So it can, it's not like with us at, at the time of conception, it exists, it starts existing. So the two others existed, there must be a time where they existed without each other. And that makes basically the body obsolete, not that important anymore. And if the body isn't important, then again, Sky's argument for abortion could then again work for uh, abortionists in their favor yeah. in Islamic exactly. countries. Exactly, because you could just say, hmm? well, you know, that fetus didn't get its soul yet, so it's not really anything. And you'll yep. see a lot of Muslims in, like, in maybe not in, like, a mosque, but just kind of in little villages and stuff. I've heard so many stories from friends from the Arab world in particular where their mom or their grandmother will say, oh, you know, before you were born, you were a soul up there with Allah. It's like, but no one has any memory of this, obviously. But they do believe this for sure. So I guess you're right. Um, you could probably justify abortion by just saying the soul hadn't arrived yet. It's very tricky dice to deal with. Mm -hmm. And also, another big problem with that is then death is not an, as important for them if if the soul and body aren't one together. So the bodies, no matter what happens with them after that, if they're like uh, burned to a crisp or whatever, it becomes unimportant then. But also completely different from us, where we have our burial rituals, how the body has to be buried and everything. The body becomes... I, I would use the word second fiddle almost. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But it's actually mm. it's interesting, though, because Muslims do have burial rites. So I it's know. That, that's why it's so... Yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> Doesn't so they have sense. to like, be buried before like the sundown. They have to mm. be buried with green yeah. over the casket or something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, but another thing that's interesting also is what you, you said about one of the big things that Plotinus... Am I still there? My Wi-Fi cut out for a second. You're back. Am I good? Just, okay. uh, yeah. uh, one of the big things in terms of death that Plotinus mentioned, and, I, and there were other philosophers before him that mentioned it, a positive thing, because finally your spirit can escape the flesh and be free from Um, you're not there anymore for us. Yeah, let's wait till he comes back. We don't teach that. Oh, oh, you're I can't back now. You were lagging soul. for like a couple of seconds. Oh, am it, I back now? It, it froze right when you said up. like some. Uh, it was a positive thing. I think you're referring to death. Plotinus said or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm gonna try again. So one of the issues that Plotinus taught is that when you die. It's a positive thing because your soul is finally free of the physical body. So this is an issue that comes along with this pre-existent soul. So the body's really not that important. You were you were alive for 10,000 years. Then you had like a 80-year life. Then you're going to be alive for another million years as a soul. So who, who cares about the physical body? But the idea of rejoicing when you die so you can be free of your corpse is a very harmful pagan idea that, again, is found in the 
Islamic mm. influence as well. So it's weird because I know someone's going to try to do a response to this video and say, oh, we care about the body in Islam. I'm not saying people don't care about the body. I'm just saying there's no justification for it. Yeah, and the viewpoints are a bit illogical because with what we've talked about now in, in the Muslim viewpoint from what we've discussed now, it seems to me like the gift of life is almost like a punishment in Islam. Yes, exactly. Exactly the same, yep. but that's the thing. Christian, You're lagging so hard, With Islam, it's like, why were you... Is that better? little better, yeah. Yep, now I can, can hear you, you again. Can the rest of you hear me? Sky, can you hear me? What I'm saying is that, um, for example, with Islam, it's like, why are you even put on this earth? And they'll say it's a test. But yeah, what's the point? With Christianity, we know that we're here because we want to attain theosis and because what Adam and Eve did. We have a justification for why we have to die, right? For a Muslim, what's the point of incarnating and then dying and then reincarnating again? What, what was that whole thing for? You know? That's what I, I don't understand with Islam. Mm. It does not make sense to me why why you would have this whole paradigm set up if you've got no justification for for it occurring in the first place. That's all. Exactly. And another thing is, are the Muslims sure it's the first life right now or the second life? <laughs> if the if their soul has been with Allah once and put into a body, how can they be sure it's not their third or fourth life? Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's at least their second. The first one was Odin. <laughs> what? <laughs> you have to have seen the meme, Milos. Otherwise, right. it makes sense. Maybe you uh, can cut in the meme. I think. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Do it right here. So, Sky, you're going to edit it in. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, last thing, just I think we'll end it with if you want to make one last point but last quote that i want to say is that saint cyril says himself that and i don't know if it cut out before but say it now again not everything that a heretic says is heretical so we can't just throw everything that like from the greek philosophers out the window because someone can have part of the truth and not the entirety of it so whenever you're arguing with a Muslim, you have to remember that some of the stuff that they teach is taken from us anyways. So if you're just going to say, oh, Muslim, that's false, you might be attacking your own ideology. So make sure that you, you know what the difference is, what the similarities are, so that when you're discussing with a Muslim or trying to evangelize or just make a point that you are familiar with what parts we share in common and what parts we diverge. That's all. There's only one truth at the end of the day. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that fully. I, it's clear that a lot of the things that we talked about today, it would seem that I have quite a negative opinion. You guys hear me? Yeah, Jim, we can hear you them. very well. Carl, you were lagging for about five, ten seconds. Oh, me? No, Carl was lagging. We can, oh. Jim, I can hear you perfect. Carl was the one. I hear you guys. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I was just saying that I, I agree fully. We can't throw out everything. So just because this podcast has a negative connotation with a lot of the philosophy 
the only point of that is to show that the very poor parts that can't be justified are being used in Islam. There are also decent parts of philosophy that are used in Islam too, just like there are decent parts of philosophy that are used in Christianity. But we just cannot accept stuff that goes contrary to our book, a book that pre-existed any philosophy from the Greeks by thousands of years. So we're merely pointing that out. So any audience member doesn't mean you just throw out everything. We still have to study and see what can we take, what can we leave? We don't throw out all things, obviously. But there are some things that are very dangerous and harmful that go against our religion that unfortunately have been picked up by other religions. It's important to point that out. Mm. And exactly, and also another thing for the viewers, even though, you know, we are, we in this video criticized Islam a lot, you have to remember that uh, a Muslim person can still be a good person and a good friend to you, and we also should pray for them. Exactly. Carl, your mic is muted. I see your lips moving. <laughs> we can't treat them. What I said is, <laughs> what, what I said is, we, we can't treat them like they're not human beings, because just like us, they're made in the likeness and image of God. They just have oh, false theology. That's all. They're still, they're still beings that God made in His image, and we can't just throw that out because we disagree with them because well, they're wrong. Otherwise. Um, I really wanted to thank you, Jim, for coming on the podcast for the next season. It's always great when we have you on. And hopefully when we have a season three, we'll reach out again. Um, that sounds awesome. Sorry thank to you our guys. viewers. We didn't... No worries. So we didn't get the whole squad, but uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. This is Carl, Sky, Milos, and Jim signing out. Thank you. Thank you.